Welcome, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. Also, social media, great way to keep up with what we're doing here. If you go to aaronsgunshop.com, go to the Facebook page, like us there on Facebook. We're always posting new videos of things coming up, like the product spotlights or things of interest during the course of the week. So like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and for sure, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Lots and lots and lots of great videos there talking about products, special interviews, the works. Okay? Now, what we've got coming up on the show today... As always, our true stories of self-defense from the American Rifleman's The Armed Citizens column. We're going to learn what to do and what not to do from the experiences of others. So get your note-taking material ready. This week's License to Carry Attorney segment, sponsored by Coppolino Dodd Krebs Law Firm, is going to have Super Attorney Rick Dodd in, giving us explanation of the Fourth Amendment. We've been doing a series uh, of the amendments here, 1 through 10, the, the Bill of Rights. This week's product spotlight, sponsored by ANC Firearms and Heidenhammer, is the High Point 380 Carbine. This is definitely... A niche gun, and it fills a big niche, and I'll explain that later on. If you go to Aaron's Gun Shop and go to the Facebook page, you get to see the uh, short video I did of it, and uh, it's just like a regular 9mm high point carbine, but the 380, it's just perfect for a certain niche group, and I'll tell you about that later on. Crank up the volume, tell everybody you know, and when we come back from this short break, we'll start with true stories of self-defense, and we'll see you on the other side. back, everybody. The Aaron's High Captain Radio Program. We are in the True Stories of Self-Defense segment coming out of the American Rifleman's The Armed Citizens column. Now, I'm going to be reading these cold. I've got three of them. March 2019 issue, and story number one is as follows. In Columbia, South Carolina, a pair of escaped convicts looking for an easy target picked the wrong home. After managing to escape from the county jail, one convict kicked in the back door, then armed himself with a knife sharpener. I mean... I'm pausing. Think, did you hear what I just said? Knife sharpener. <laughs> Before advancing to an upstairs bedroom. Roused by the 3 a.m. disturbance, the homeowner grabbed her firearm and shot the intruder as he came into her bedroom. This was a big guy. If she hadn't had a weapon, there's no telling what would have happened, said County Sheriff Rick Clark. This is a shining example of how owning and knowing how to use a gun is important. She came out of a she came out on the good end of this and the other guy, the bad guy, didn't. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's a couple things. There's gonna be a common thread with these stories. It's home invasions. The first thing is, if we all take the the deep um, breath and scream it out, she went and got her gun as soon as she heard the noise. That's the first thing. The second thing is, they always say don't bring a knife to a gunfight. This guy brought a knife sharpener. <laughs> What an idiot. <laughs> okay, story number two. Soundly asleep in her bedroom, a 74-year-old woman awakened to the sounds of a burglar breaking her door open. Startled, the woman grabbed her recently purchased handgun and met the intruder at the top of the stairs where she took aim and fired a single fatal shot. EMS arrived, however, on the scene to save the life of the homeowner who suffered a heart attack after the incident. Does that suck or what, man? <laughs> you get your home broken into, and then you have a heart attack. Mm. But what does she do? She grabbed her gun first. Very good. Story number three. In Lake Odessa, Michigan, a man suspected of substance abuse stole a truck and trailer to take it for a joyride. Stopping the vehicle in a local neighborhood, the suspect forced his way into a nearby house. The homeowner awoke to discover a desperate man starting... Uh, stating he was being chased by someone attempting to kill him. Grabbing his gun, the resident followed the intruder outside to face the attacker, but found no one. 
Both men headed back into the house where the bad guy began to act in an erratic and angry manner, eventually attacking the homeowner. The resident fired his gun and killed his attacker. Ladies and gentlemen, on this one here, uh, I would have known, I think, I, I would have felt just a bad vibe. Going out to, the first thing, going out to try and find the attacker when the person who's feeling threatened comes into a secure home, there's no need for you to go back outside. Okay, let's just say you let the guy come into the house. There's no need to go outside looking for the person. You hunker down, you call 911, get the police out there, blah, 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 make sure uh, they know you're in the house and so they don't shoot you when you're outside looking for this attacker, okay? Second thing is, you should have probably felt or had a weird vibe about this guy coming into his house being somebody who, being not the person who he said he was and um, should have raised an eyebrow. But anyway, we've got to be alert, stay alert, and um, hopefully we'll get out of these situations unharmed if they ever happen to us. So learn what we can from the stories that we read here. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time where I'm going to read to you now my observation piece and you know I'm always thinking I'm always looking I'm always observing and I titled this one think about this ladies and gentlemen think about this for a minute why do you think you see what you see on television and hear what you hear on the radio excluding private radio shows like mine you hear what you have um, you hear what you hear and see what you see because large corporations pay lots of money to figure out what gets ratings. A show like mine runs strictly on the hope that people uh, like how I think and what I say. But corporations, on the other hand, are only concerned with the bottom line. What does it take to make more profits? I'm a businessman and a terrible one at that because I spew what I believe, not what has been marketed to coerce the public to buy it. My beliefs are pure to this country, protected at all costs so that freedom may ring, even if I disagree with your particular belief or fancy. So, think about it, ladies and gentlemen. What's mostly on TV and radio? Crap. For every good thing, there's 20 bad things. Why is that? Because the majority wants it. That's scary as hell. Morals are corrupted. Politics is crooked. Religion is corporate, and sex is perverted. Every day this country steps closer to the abyss of no return. One day we will step off the cliff, and then it will be too late. Ladies and gentlemen, I implore you, reject what corporations or people in general are cramming down our throats as normal and popular. What you do in private is one thing. Pushing it down the public's throat is another. Think about this. A common thread of unity, of respect for one another... An esprit de corps. An esprit de corps. You know what that means? I know it because my brother's West Point ring has it written on it and he told me after I asked. It means a feeling of pride, fellowship, and common loyalty shared by the members of a particular group. Ladies and gentlemen, we are members of a very special group, Americans. Let's reunite the spirit of pride, fellowship, and common loyalty and put aside the foolishness that corporate marketing has to offer. All right, Joel, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to have Super Attorney Rick Dodd, and we're going to be talking about the Fourth Amendment. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. Ladies and gentlemen, I am an eight-cylinder engine. I got water in my gas. 
I'm running on six. I'm just not running right. So Rick is going to pull up my slack here and uh, take me home. But look, we're going to be talking. We've been doing a series about the amendments here, you know, the, the Ten Amendments, the Bill of Rights, and we're on number four here. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you the preamble to the Bill of Rights because I think that a lot of people don't know what the preamble to the Bill of Rights is. The the Constitution was ratified in 1791, 81, what was it? 81, something like, something like that. And then they wrote this afterwards to just clarify, and it goes like this. Congress of the United States begun and held at the city of New York on Wednesday, the 4th of March, 1789. The conventions of a number of the states having at the time of their adopting the Constitution expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added. And as extending the ground of public confidence in the government will best ensure the beneficent oh, I'm getting tongue tied here, ends of its institution. Okay, so that's the preamble. Well, that that's an interesting concept because what we got to understand is we had to have uh, at least two-thirds of the states ratify our Constitution, and we weren't getting that two-thirds because there were the anti-federalists out there that thought that our Constitution itself wasn't complete enough to keep the states having states' rights because they didn't want the federal government to become too strong. Right. So then the idea of the people who wanted the Constitution came up that we're going to have the Bill of Rights. So uh, Madison, you know, being a real smart fellow and wanted to have a federal government uh, help control the states and keep the states together in some sort of unified fashion, he, uh, he came up with the idea and started writing these uh, Bill of Rights, and he wrote 20 of them. And a lot of states ratified 12 of the 20, some 11, and finally then the anti-federalists thought, wow, uh, things are getting ahead of us here. We're going to wind up with the Constitution after it all. So it was sort of a switcheroo. All of a sudden, the people who were anti-federalists suddenly became anti-Bill of Rights. Wow. So politics have not changed. Yeah, yeah, I guess not. But ultimately, there were 10 different amendments adopted, and that then allowed the Constitution to be ratified. Do you think they were listed in the order they were listed at the time because, I mean, they're all equally as important, but do you think they were written down because in the time, um, you know, when, when you're talking about something or something's passionate to yourself, you have, kind of have a tendency to write the first things on the top of your head and then you start searching for the other points that may be important to do as well. Do you feel as though the 1 through 10 was written out of um, importance, what they believed to be important at that time? Did that make it, sense? It, you know, I don't doubt it because, you know, what is important at one time might be not as important the next, but I think Madison had the feeling that they were all equally important, all 20 of his, which we know now are 10. 10 so right. some of what was important to him was not important to Georgia and, and Vermont, for instance. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, he, he was Massachusetts, you know, so that was kind of a hotbed of what was going on yes. versus England. Right. I'm going to read to you now the Fourth Amendment, so we're all on the same sheet of music here. Uh, The Fourth Amendment, the right of the people to secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things. And with that, Rick, I see all your notes here. Why don't you guide us in it? 
and a lesson on the Fourth Amendment? Well, when we look at the uh, Fourth Amendment, we're looking at big words like unreasonable and secure. And those words all have to have meaning. And through the years, the courts have given some of them meaning and have given us exceptions to the exclusions, to the exceptions, mm-hmm. to the differences. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's kind of complex when you go to law school. Uh, when you go to the first year of law school, a lot of times the professionals will ask us students, what is the most valuable possession that you have? Matt, I would, you know, a lot of people don't get this right, so I'm going to ask you, what do you think your most valuable possession is? Uh, probably be myself. Well, you know, Matt, I've, I've always said, no matter what everybody else says, I've, you're a pretty smart fellow. You got that right. So congratulations. Thank you, that. sir. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. So anyway, yes, yourself. So this this uh, Fourth Amendment really has a lot to do with keeping us out of prison, out of jail. But it really got its start on property. And property, what I mean by that is taxation. So when we, we look back at the British government, which is where our laws mostly were patterned after, except for a lot of these amendments that were patterned against the government. Uh, We do go back to that for the Constitution. And it used to be that the king could send his henchmen in anywhere, go in the house, grab anything, and say, this is for the king. King. God bless the king. Long live the king. Well, somewhere in about the 1600s, uh, folks got a little upset about that, and, and a, a parliament was was in place. And uh, there were some decisions that sort of started taking the, these rights away from the king. And, the, you know, the king wasn't good with it, but he was happy to have his head. Mm-hmm, yeah. So he's either off with his head or off with some of his rights. That's so right. It suddenly it became where he could not just barge into people's homes and, and, and uh, take anything they wanted. Now, that through the years, that became even more important because people were getting what they called a general search warrant. Uh, a general search warrant, they could go in anywhere to any house for anybody and say, here's the warrant. You know, it had warrant on it, had the king's signature on it. And that in England became illegal, if you may, uh, as the laws progressed. And it got to where they had to be looking for somebody somewhere in particular who had certain things. In other Mm -hmm. words, it had to be more specific. So that was sort of where it came through in England. But, you know, over here in colonial United States, we didn't didn't enjoy those rights because we were not part of England. We were, you know, sort of out there on our own. And they were still doing it because we had this customs thing here where the king wanted money. I mean, that's why they settled America. That's why... Uh, England spent the money to send people over here and set up colonies because they wanted to get the money. They wanted to get the raw materials. They wanted Mm -hmm. the stuff. So, again, we're talking about property. So somewhere in there, um, there was a a, a gathering of people and a fellow named Otis. He stood for five hours and talked about how our freedoms in America should be equal to those in England. And, of course... At that time, John Adams, who was present in the courthouse, who was present in the courthouse when Otis was speaking, he considered these words that Otis spoke to be the spark of the American Revolution. Um, you know, this is the taxation without re- representation kind of arguments. 
And, of course, we know that the real Tea Party was part of that in Massachusetts. So that's kind of the history of where Do these things Do they teach this in high school anymore? I'm sorry? Do they teach this in high school anymore? You know, I don't know. I haven't been in high school in a long time. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're close to that. You hear any of this stuff? Yeah, I can just imagine what they're teaching now. Well, if, even if they had taught it back then, I don't think I would have understood it. I do remember them talking about the Tea Party. I know, but you would understand it now. I mean, as you grow and mature, this is in the back of your head, and when it starts coming up, it, it, it spurs um, remembrance, and then you go, oh, I've got a connection, and I can research it again, and all of a sudden, you have an understanding of it. But hearing it for the Absolutely. first time, you're going to go, huh? I don't care. <laughs> well, it does, it does get us into uh, our amendments, and the Fourth Amendment's a pretty important amendment because it does protect our most important piece of property, ourself and our body. That's right. Let me ask you you a sidebar question because, and just shut me up if I'm going off the wrong place here. We're talking about the king and the warrant and all this. I wrote down here real quick, how does a king become a king? I understand that process, but what do you think makes people submit to one person's way of thinking? Is it way back in the day where somebody had money and they built a castle and protected the people when the bad people came, and just because of that history, they've always said, well, there's one guy smarter than us, or is there some reason why we are so willing to submit to one person and follow what they say, go to war, die for them, so that they can have all the luxuries that they want? I don't get it. Well, it has to go back to the concepts of government. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't care what a lot, a lot of people say about our government. We've got to have our government. We've got to have police. We've got to have roads. We got to have protection from foreign governments, and what happened in England, of course, is, is people got together. They um, they were in clans. You had the grandfathers and the fathers and the cousins all living in a structure. The structure had a fire in the middle of it, and then all of a sudden, the most important technological advance in the whole world, even up to today, was invented: the chimney. Once the chimney came into place, people could build homes around a chimney and castles around a chimney, and they could um, take care of themselves in the wintertime and stock up on enough fuel so that they became able to do leisurely activities like learn how to write, learn how to paint, and learn arts and things that uh, now we just take for granted. And all you know, as we go along, the chimney allowed people to sit around and play with gas, gasoline, and pretty soon we have engines, and we have motors, and we have refrigerators, and we and he's, have he's air not, bars. He's not kidding here. He's he's serious. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Radio. I mean, all that comes from the fact that we were able to gather in a place. Cities then were developed. Mm-hmm. Without chimneys, there would be no cities. So, what happens is, is, is we had these castles up on the hill. And people were needed by someone who was the, quote, owner, if you may, in charge, who was born royalty. And these people needed to band together to protect themselves from the people on the far hill. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Or on the other island. Uh So they could dig trenches and build fortifications. And if you've ever seen a real castle, it's amazing. The fortifications will start maybe 10 miles out there'll be little uh, sub castles if you may or or earthen dams where they can fight the enemies as they retreat back to the main castle once they get to the castle then there are levees that surround the castle starting out like you know 500 yards half a mile out then you'll have another layer 
quarter mile out, then another layer 300 yards out, and pretty soon you're near the moat, and then you're inside the castle. And, of course, all the people that are part of this community look to the king, look to the government to provide this unification and you know, work together kind of thing. And how do we stand? Divided we fall. I mean, that's not something our government invented. That's been the truth throughout history. Amazing. We should do a se- uh, history session on this uh, show every week. Well, it sounds we are very doing a history ch- session on the Fourth Amendment. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I mean, <laughs> above and beyond this, I just get so fascinated. I could sit in front of the History Channel all day long, just watching this stuff. Saying, "My gosh, is that how it worked?" You know, it's just interesting stuff to me. Well, it's interesting because it's true. Okay, and it's interesting because it's part of us as a society and we are we are here today because part of, of that society that's right. okay. i mean we would not be able to be here sitting here today talking about the fourth amendment if we didn't have forefathers like madison and franklin and those guys hamilton jefferson who considered what a government should be about now you got to remember those guys are real smart and they are due but they didn't just make this stuff up I mean, they they got this from history too. Mm-hmm. They saw other governments what worked, what didn't work. What yeah, what fair, worked, what didn't work, tried and failed. And you know, they didn't want a monarch. They wanted George Washington to be a monarch, but he said, "No, I, I don't want to be a monarch. I, we don't need that." So, so we got uh, presidents with time limits now, starting only forty years ago. Right. So anyway, back to that the started that started after uh, FDR, right? Yes. After the third. Yeah, I think FDR was in um, in office like 16 or so years. Mm-hmm. So now it's limited to 10 years. You have two terms. If you somehow are like vice president and are stuck in for less than two years, right, right, right. then it could be up to 10, 10 years. 10 years, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, so this amendment that we're talking about has to do with governmental searches and seizures. Uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with situations like where your uh, uh, soon-to-be ex-wife... Uh, invites the law in and, and says, okay, search here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the private searches are someone gets a bunch of papers and brings them down to the district attorney's office and says, I got these out of such and such house while I was burglarizing it. Guess what? The DA can still use those. Really? Yeah. So it doesn't have to be necessarily a legal application of getting the papers it just gets them without the government intrusion you know i just had another thought too you probably smelled the wood burning or the the squirrel cage spinning but when you look at the amendments real quick they all are great but then if somebody wants to study it they can manipulate it and turn it into things that it wasn't meant to be and it's, that's why it's so important that we know and understand its background, where it comes from, so that we can make sure, just like in the uh, uh, the preamble, so there's no misunderstandings or misconstruction or abuse. They want to clarify. and so. But when you look at them and say, yeah, these, these are great, but we have to understand where they come from and make sure we know them so that people who are, are smart but on a little corrupted side can't manipulate it and twist it to their favor or advantage against us. Well, against us or in favor of themselves or in favor of some governmental entity. Uh, you know, it's some of these words, again, like unreasonable. Uh, what might be reasonable in 1800 may not be reasonable to us today. Uh, so those those words 
have a broad meaning sometimes, and sometimes those kinds of words change. Uh, you know, you and I did a, a segment about a militia, mm-hmm. and it appears to me, at least, that the word militia now has a little bit different meaning than it did back when uh, they wrote the Second Amendment. It appears to me. But, of course, there's a lot of folks who vehemently disagree with me about that. How can it change? A militia is what a militia is. It's well, people who pervert it. By de- different definitions. Uh, see, back in the day when they wrote about the militia, they were talking about the government's ability to get people who were in the military at one time or another and who had military training, albeit you know might have been scant, uh, to call them in and be a militia. And now we're saying that we are the militia, whether we've been in the military or not. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and, and they, um, they call themselves a militia and just put that word in front of or behind whatever they please, and suddenly they are a militia. So, anyway, back to the Fourth Amendment. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is great. I'm enjoying this. So, we have, uh, we have this, this thing that talks about searches and seizures that the federal government has the Fourth Amendment, but it wasn't until the late 1800s, I mean, we're talking about a hundred years before this this amendment became important. See, originally, remember, it was talk about taxation, and then suddenly there is the Sherman Antitrust Act that comes into play, and that has to do with uh, antitrust, and, and if people are involved in antitrust, in other words, uh, the degradation of trade amongst the states, or uh, monopolizing situations, they commit a felony, so that's crime. So the government suddenly, federal government was certainly invi- involved, suddenly involved in the criminal aspect of our lives in the late 1800s, and then suddenly they had uh, interstate commerce and things like that having to do with the the Sherman Act and some of its progeny, and. We got to where we were concerned about people uh, stopping us on the highways and searching our vehicles and then putting us in jail on a federal level. But at that time, see, the states weren't under control of the Fourth Amendment. The states could still do what they wanted to do. And what I found really interesting, it wasn't until 1961, you know, in my lifetime not that long ago, 1961, a case called MAP came out, and the U.S. Supreme Court says the Fourth Amendment applies to states by way of the Due Process Clause of the Fourteenth Amendment. So you have the Fourteenth Amendment, and of course that came after the first ten. Uh, due process saying that we should all have equal protection, due process under the law. Well, that means that the states have to abide by the Fourth Amendment. So okay. you can look at it like if you were a states' rights person, a purist, mm-hmm. you would say, well, gosh, the Fourth Amendment shouldn't apply to my state. Wow, it's so interwoven here. So this is one of these you know, things that you're talking about. You can call it a twist if you want, or you can call it a turn if you want in the right direction, depending on who you are and who what your are. thoughts yeah, are. That's right. Yes. So we I mean, when, when it, you're talking about it and you're explaining it, and because I do know enough to keep up with you, I see where you're going and what you say on certain things and how a state has to apply this because of the 14th when you explain it and break it down. But, you know, you also said about the militia, it used to be one thing and now and today it's another thing. I think a lot of people today 
rep, uh, recognize the fort as being stopped on the side of the road or being asked for ID and stuff like that based on all what you see on the internet and in the news on how people are getting pulled over and hey those are my rights you can't do it based on the fourth amendment so a lot of people i think know of the fourth because of the modern day aspects of it as compared to the history of it which is a great reason why we're doing this yeah well in 1967 the cats case came out and that had to do with the right to privacy so it does extend past you know being arrested or being taxed suddenly our privacy becoming an important aspect of our rights civil rights um, was was intruded in the cat's case when somebody put a wiretap on the outside of telephone booth. In other words, there wasn't a search inside of our personal place. But Mr. Katz, he had a certain expectation of privacy. Now, those words are very important in our legal system. Okay. Expectation of privacy. But the government intruded on that when they put the mic on the outside in 19... 19- 67. So you see, technology, as we go down the road, the, the Supreme Court has to look at what technology is coming. See, that's so, what I meant, though, about looking at an amendment in one way and saying, that's great, but then other people will use it to manipulate because I didn't get in your space. I was on the outside of the glass, right. but I was hearing the vibrations, blah, absolutely. blah, blah. I mean, it's manipulation. Absolutely. Well, when you say that, I mean, the Supreme Court, up until 1967, never had to deal with a telephone correct they never had to deal with a wiretap and they made the decision at that point that that was unreasonable and that was an intrusion so my point is that that as we move down the road things do change ideas change concept change technology changes so there has to be a keeping up with if you may the law with regard to these eight these 1700s great ideas mm-hmm. called the Fourth Amendment. So it, it here is where, in the Katz case, they said that the Fourth Amendment protects people, not places. So a search occurs for purposes of the Fourth Amendment when the government violates a person's reasonable expectation of privacy. So he, uh, he did not expect the words that he talked into the telephone to be broadcast to the world. And Society, see, here we go. This is part of the Katz case. Society believes that his expectation is reasonable. Now, I don't know how the Supreme Court came up with that concept. Did they go around and poll 27,000 people and 26,000 said, oh, yeah, we believe that's reasonable? I don't know. But somehow they felt like society may have that reasonable expectation, whereas they may not have earlier. Maybe not, but they do now. So they uh, they went with the reasonable expectation of privacy. So uh, some of the cases that came in 1979, for instance, the question is, uh, is there a legitimate expectation of privacy? And if they have a reasonable expectation of this privacy regarding cell phone records, that would reveal that a person... Uh, I mean, like your cell phone, wherever you go, it maps it. Do you have a reasonable expectation of privacy? In other words, does the whole world get to know every move you make with your body? So that was a 2018 case because of new technology. So suddenly 
you have a cell phone and you have a reasonable expectation of privacy, so they have to have a search warrant to get into it. They have to have a search warrant to look at it. So just a couple of years ago, Matt, if you got stopped, the police might pull your cell phone out and start looking at it, Mm -hmm. make you open it up, and there was nothing wrong with that. We had this discussion before, and I said, that phone is my brain. It's my outside extension of my brain because obviously I'm tapping into information um, the way I think and what I want to use for information to support what I think. So if somebody was able to have access to it, they would know what I think. Whereas sometimes you're just in a room and instead of saying anything, you just shut up. Well, me shutting up is my phone in the off position, whereas you're going to come in and open up my brain when I don't want you to know what's inside of it. Absolutely. And it wasn't until last year that that case came out. So, again, we can call it a twist or we can turn, call it a turn in the right direction depending on what side of the fence you might be on. And I promise you there were a bunch of really smart lawyers in the courthouse when they argued this to the Supreme Court. And when you heard one of them speak, you'd probably go, man, he's right. And then you might have heard the second one speak and go, man, he's, <laughs> he's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. then there might have been uh, you know, a 5-4 decision and a dissent that when you read it, you thought, wow, she's right. <laughs> So, well, doesn't it basically go where if you got a phone and you sign a contract and you're giving up your right for them to track everything, there's nothing you can do about that because if you want to use the phone, you gave permission for them to track you. Well, However, for anybody to get that information outside of them, there would have to be a warrant. Yeah, well, if there's a third party that gets the information, then you have given up your reasonable expectation of privacy. For instance, the phone numbers you call, that's given directly to the phone company. So you don't have a reasonable expectation of who you called. You have an expectation of privacy about the conversation you had with that person, but not that you called that number. I got you. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, they can get that information. Hey, I, then, I, then you have okay. then you have uh, other problems with um, you know the unreasonableness here. We got automobiles. Well, we used to not have automobiles back when this was written. But we do now. So is there an expectation of privacy in the automobile? So the Supreme Court of the United States had to grapple with this concept of what kind of expectation of privacy do we have for something that can be easily moved? In other words, you know, if, if first off, you got to have probable cause to stop a vehicle, right? You, you guys have already talked about that in some of the prior segments. So let's pretend for a moment that there's probable cause that the stop of the vehicle is proper. So the police officer goes up, and he has no other information except the tail light was out. Mm-hmm. He can't just go searching the car. Now, if he's going to make an arrest for the tail light being out, then he might have the right to search, do a pat-down search, called a Terry search. You know, in other words, he has already decided to uh, arrest and therefore restrain the person. You know, keep their Fourth Amendment rights have been not violated, but they're being arrested, so they're uh, uh, being detained. So the police officer has the right by public policy to make sure that nobody's going to get harmed, including himself, so he can do a pat-down. If the uh, vehicle is accessible by the uh, arrestee, he might be able to look around and make sure that there's no guns or weapons within reach. Uh, Of course, if there's something in plain view, there's no reasonable expectation of privacy, but that plain view has to give you an idea of what it is. You know, we we see all the time in the newspaper stupid people that have a bag of uh, marijuana out on the dash of the car or in 
at least that's what the report says. Mm-hmm, yeah, uh, so, <laughs> conveniently planted. Yeah. So you, uh, so you have the out in the open kind of stuff. Uh, so they grapple with those kinds of concepts. Uh, they grapple with uh, seizures of, of contraband, and of course, if it's illegal contraband, they can seize it. You know, they have this concept where they can seize a vehicle if it's used in a uh, something illegal. But they're just about three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. There was a uh, Supreme Court ruling that says that this could violate excessive fines. You know, there's a rule against you cannot be uh, unreasonably fined mm-hmm. or imprisoned in the United States, believe it or not. Yeah, believe it or not, yeah. So, uh, so if you have a $50,000 Range Rover and you have a couple bags of marijuana in it... And Doesn't equal, it's, it's, it's excessive. Just, yeah, that's right. It would be excessive if they took your vehicle away from you after you've already paid your uh, you know, $10,000 fine or whatever that fine is for having uh, that marijuana. Now, you know, if it were 25 pounds of cocaine... Then whether or not it's excessive may uh, may be a question for a judge. Yeah, I mean, I, I back in the day, you could have a group of people; they'd be smoking a bag of pot, no problem. But when you get twenty five pounds of cocaine, you you're dealing this stuff out. Right. So there's a big difference. So then they then they uh, grapple with the concept of swabbing someone's mouth for DNA. Do you have a reasonable expectation for your DNA? So there's a lot of things that our U.S. Supreme Court decides. Even though when you look at the eight lines on the Fourth Amendment, you go, well, that's just real simple stuff, isn't it? <laughs> Not anymore, man. We, I've learned between you and Ross, ain't nothing simple when it comes to the law. Well, that's uh, great. The, the black and white of that paper is gray. Yeah. And, and of course, I guess next time you're going to be talking about the Fifth Amendment. Mm-hmm. All these amendments kind of work together. The Fifth Amendment is right not to incriminate yourself. That's I really the fifth. important. <laughs> yeah, big time. Now, look, I wanted to make a couple of comments here. You can feed on this if you want. The the one thing I wrote down here is, ladies and gentlemen, we have to stop reading um, bullet points and headlines. We've got to learn where the headlines and bullet points are coming from. It's like what Rick is doing here is explaining its origins and all that. If we have a good basic understanding of where things come, we can read bullet points or headlines and say, well, I don't know. i got to check this one out and see where they're coming from because I know... I know the history and I know the background of where these amendments are coming from. The other thing I wanted to ask, Rick, was this, your opinion. How can natural rights be overturned? We're assuming, and the key word is assume, that the amendments here are just written down as an expression of what's already natural to us, the, the natural right to defend ourselves. How can we just give it, how can people take it away if it's natural, natural rights? It's just a... An overthrow by the mass majority? Well, I'm, 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 I gotta say, <clears throat> the Constitution is here to protect the minority, and and I get that. It's That's been good. said, you know, like like the the unreasonable, the big old word, and then. You know, that's in the eye of the beholder. Unreasonable is as is morality. So when you talk about unnatural and natural, what some people might think is natural, others might not. And if there's a vast majority of the people that goes, oh, that's unnatural, then you see we might step on the natural feelings of that very small minority. You have to be careful using Uh, these words in a broad context. It's complicated. It can become extremely complicated. Well, what appears to be simple. It's a great piece of work the Constitution is. I mean, it was so important 
<clears throat> that we as a society have accepted the fact that what we can do with the Fourth Amendment is exclude evidence. In other words, we know that guy's a murderer. We know it because he had the murder weapon in the vehicle. But because the search was unconstitutional, the Constitution is more important than locking that man up. I got, I got to agree. We have agreed with that. I have to agree because if and you, if you slip there, step for mankind. if you slip there, just think where it can go. That's why everybody's got to know what they're doing. They got to know the rights. They got to understand how to uh, deploy those rights, use those rights. So if an officer screws it up on the beat there and loses the potential to get evidence to convict a murderer because they didn't follow it, well, um, he should have known his stuff. And vice versa, it goes to anybody. You got to know your rights, the rules, how to handle yourself so that you can take full advantage of it. So I was in uh, evidence class one time. Uh, a few years ago, 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> and I was called upon by the professor, Blakely, a renowned professor in criminal law, to answer uh, a few questions. And at the end of his grilling, um, I stood perplexed and I said, well, what good is a lawyer in that situation where there was a warrant and the warrant was okay? And you know, on down the line, and and what can you as a lawyer do about this poor couple who got caught with five pounds of cocaine in their closet? And his answer was simple: they shouldn't have had the five pounds of cocaine, cocaine. in their closet. So just we, because it's illegal, but what if they like to do? That's morality issue we're we're talking about. Just because it was illegal and it was in their home, I mean, you can go 20, right off the bat. I can think twenty different ways why what he said is uh, uh, rubbing me wrong. <laughs> Well, they had a warrant. Yeah, I guess they had a reasonable... Uh, <laughs> they had a reasonable expectation. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a, a legal warrant. So, bottom line is, is that we're still catching criminals. We're still arresting people. We're still putting them in jail. We're still executing people in Texas. Um, so, our laws are working. And as long as we all respect the Constitution and all the amendments, then our society as a government can stand unified and protect each other. But I must reiterate, ladies and gentlemen, we have to be students. We have to constantly looking, you know, looking at TV and programs and football and playing games. That's cool. That's great. You know, everybody needs a, a venting, a way to vent. But we've got to know our basics. We've got to know our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, the rule of law, how to handle ourselves, how to communicate with others, all these different things, because if we don't, when one pillar goes, the whole building collapses. You've you got to really have a general overview of how things work. So reading the headlines from somebody who wants to push an agenda from any outlet, it doesn't matter whose it is, you've got to have a basic understanding of where that's coming from to see if, hey, no, that's not right, or yeah, okay, I get what they're saying. Yeah. Where the fun, where the money's coming from? Follow the money. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> okay, Rick, we're out of time. Why don't you tell everybody how they can get a hold of you? Have, show them some respect. How about that? Yeah, respectforyou.com. <laughs> that's, uh, that's our website. Give us a call, 697-4965. Just look at respectforyou.com. We're working on cases now for... Uh, hearing loss for uh, What's it? military people, people who use the dual-sided uh, hearing, hearing earplugs from uh, 2003 to 2015. So uh, that's an important case, products cases, basically. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
give us a call if you had uh, been diagnosed with hearing loss or tinnitus and you were in the military between 03 and 15 and wore those dual-sided earplugs. Got it. Rick, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, I think in a couple of weeks, we'll be two or three weeks, we'll be having you on for sure. Because I know, uh, what, the 7th is your favorite? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to be here if we go sequentially. But, yeah, we're going to do the 7th. Of course, the 7th is a trial by jury. Okay, well, we'll make it happen. That's been my meat and potatoes, so I want to talk about that. You got it. Keep the powder dry, and God bless.